and welcome to Palace Confidential, your weekly look at all things royal, brought to you from Mail Plus. I'm Jo Elvin, and let's kick things off with a look at some of the big stories from the House of Windsor this week. And there's a lot of them. So let's go and see the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English. Rebecca, we were discussing the politics of the balcony celebration for the Jubilee on last week's programme. And the next day, we had a decision both from Buckingham Palace and Montecito. Exactly. So uh, last Friday, I was at a briefing at Buckingham Palace ostensibly concerning events uh, for the Platinum Jubilee celebration weekend in June. But at the start of that briefing, uh, Palisades dropped a little bit of a bombshell. And that was a statement in which they made clear that the Queen had been thinking very long and hard about the situation concerning her family and had made a personal, and this was really emphasised, a personal decision to only have working members of the royal family with her on the balcony at Buckingham Palace for Troop in the Colour. There'll be 18 people in all, um, Charles, Camilla, William and Kate, uh, also William and Kate's children, the Wessexes, their children. But of course, the notable absentees are the Duke of Sussex and the Duchess of Sussex and the Duke of York. Now, minutes after we were able to make that announcement public later in the day, we had another pronouncement from California, from Harry and Meghan's spokesman, uh, making no reference to this balcony statement, but making clear that they would be attending other events over that bank holiday weekend. Now, regular watchers of this programme may remember that a few weeks ago, I was discussing a, a story I'd revealed in the Daily Mail that after uh, Harry's visit uh, to Windsor to see the Queen uh, in March, I was told that he seemed slightly more mollified by the arrangements uh, that were put in, being put in place for him and that I thought it was very likely uh, that they would be attending the Jubilee in some way, shape or form. And um, although it has come to pass that uh, Harry and Meghan will be returning to the UK with their children, Archie Lilibet, for the Queen's Jubilee. So that means that while it solves one potentially tricky situation, there could be another one at St Paul's, right? Well, my understanding is that Harry and Meghan will be at the service of Thanksgiving for the life and service of the Queen. And my guess is that they will also be at the party in the palace on the Saturday and the Platinum Jubilee pageant on the Sunday. Now, of course, the service of Thanksgiving is the first time that we will see them interacting with other members of the wider royal family. But actually, funny enough, I think it's going to be the least problematic of those events because, of course, it's very scripted. So they'll be arriving in certain cars, being shown to their seats by, by, uh, by ushers. And so, of course, the amount of time that they're seen interacting with other family members on camera will be fairly limited. But as one source said to me the other week, you know, the body language is going to be fascinating. I just hope for the Queen's sake, uh, it doesn't overshadow everything else that's going on over the weekend. Okay, let's turn to another big story. Charles and William stepping in for the Queen at Parliament. Yes, I was just packing up my bags to leave the office on Monday uh, when a message dropped from Buckingham Palace and it said that after discussions with her doctors, the Queen had reluctantly decided not to attend the state opening of Parliament the following morning as a result of her ongoing mobility problems. Now, this was significant for two reasons. The first, she hasn't been missed an event for 
59 years and actually the previous two occasions she did miss was because she was pregnant with um, her younger sons, Prince Andrew and Prince Edward. This was the first time she'd had to miss it as a result of her age or, you know, infirmity issues. And um, the second reason why it was significant was because on the previous two occasions that she had not been able to be there, the Lord Chancellor gave the speech in her place. This time, the Queen decided that she wanted the Prince of Wales to uh, issue her Queen's speech for the first time with the support of Prince William. And to do that, she had to issue what's called letters patent, which is basically a legal expression of the Queen's will to say that she wanted uh, Charles and William as her councillors of state to conduct proceedings on her behalf. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, we can get a little bit overly sentimental and try to read too much into things, but not on this case, I have to say. I do think this is a way of the Queen getting us as her, her subjects use of the fact that she won't be at these things anymore and really establishing that precedence that, uh, you know, Prince Wales will be giving this speech uh, in the future and that one day uh, Prince William, her grandson, will do too. Now, she didn't make it to Parliament, but there is another long-standing engagement she is hoping to make this weekend. Well, today is the start of the Royal Windsor Horse Show, which is a big deal in the Queen's calendar each year. She hasn't actually missed an event since the show started in 1943. Now, it's a bit of an oddity in some ways because it's classed by Buckingham Palace as part of her private schedule, so we don't get a lot of guidance on it. But from what I hear, I do think we can expect to see the Queen over the next three or four days. She can be driven down uh, from the castle by car. She doesn't even need to get out of it, but can wind down the window and soak up the atmosphere. And on Sunday, um, the event ends with a spectacular Platinum Jubilee pageant involving horses, the military, actors. We've got the likes of Tom Cruise giving voiceovers. It really will be a very special event. And I'm fully expecting the Queen to be there, not least actually because all of her family will attend, including her children and her great-grandchildren. So I think there will be a lot of reassuring images of the Queen over the next few days. Meanwhile, Prince William referenced Diana in a speech this week. On Tuesday, uh, straight after attending the state opening of Parliament for the first time, uh, Prince William and his wife, the Duchess of Cambridge, flew up to Manchester to uh, attend the unveiling of a memorial there in memory of those who lost their lives in the uh, 2017 Manchester Arena terror attack. William gave a speech, which was probably one of the best I think he's done in recent years, in which he talked about uh, his own emotions as someone who'd lost a family member in tragic circumstances and trying to reassure those that although they have been through a great deal of pain and will continue to go through a great deal of pain in the future, there was some reassurance to be had from having someone in your life that you'd loved, even though um, you'd lost them. Um, and it's not often William likes to really wear his heart on his sleeve, but I think he did on this occasion and chose the right moment for it. Thank you, Rebecca. Joining me now to discuss that and lots more are Kate Manzi, Assistant Editor of The Mail on Sunday, Charlotte Griffiths, who is the paper's editor-at-large, and Richard Eden, Diary Editor of The Daily Mail, and my Palace Confidential husband. Welcome <laughs> to you all. Lovely to see a packed house. I'm going to come to you first, Richard. William, 
can sometimes really come across as a bit reserved and a bit a bit stiff, really. But he has showed this week that he's not afraid to show emotion at times. He really has. I mean, he did well to attend the event in Manchester because that morning he had to attend sort of short notice the state opening of Parliament. But he made it to the ceremony and the service in Manchester, which was a really moving, poignant occasion. You know, it's to commemorate one of the, the worst terrorist atrocities we've had in Britain. 22 people dead, six of them children below the age of 16. You know, it was this disgusting atrocity mm. and they built a beautiful memorial garden, essentially, um, Glade of Light, and he was there to open it and he made a very moving speech. And I think he can certainly relate to um, people that have suffered um, because of his loss. And, and he, having a, a shocking loss in He that made way. that point yeah. and he wanted to talk about the importance of remembering, really, and things that you can do to help cope with that grief. And that was the theme and that came across. And that, that wasn't really the only sort of emotional moment we've seen with William this week. We also saw when he was um, visiting Scotland the next day, um, they attracted some very enthusiastic um, crowds. And in one case, there was a man who'd clearly been waiting a long time. And by the time Prince William came out, he was overcome with emotion and he grabbed Prince William and William was happy to sort of give him a hug. And I know that sort of thing. There's a whole new meaning to the word <laughs> Glasgow kiss. Security. Paging <laughs> um, security. But anyway, yeah. he certainly made that man's day and that was, um, that was good to see, I think. Oh, that's lovely. Now, Charlotte, with the Cambridge's trip to Scotland and William's turn in Parliament this week, it seems like a a quietly significant week for them. Yeah, he's really stepping up to the plate. And I thought the two trips were so different because in Glasgow, he was sitting cross-legged on the floor doing the wipers on the bus go swish, 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 which was quite sweet, but not that regal, let's face it. But, you know, it reminds us all that he's a dad and he's youngish and he's got kids and stuff. <laughs> And then he's in tails looking, I, th I thought, surprisingly sombre, actually, at Parliament, really quite sombre. Um, anyway, so there are these two great sides of him, and it does feel like it's a sort of transitional maturi maturity sort of uh, moment for him. There's just so much in the, in, like, change in the air with the royals, isn't there? And Kate, with the Queen's speech, we are used to seeing Charles step in for her now on occasion, but this was something else, wasn't it? Well, this was, so, this was so special, I think, because we, we've seen William stepping in for the Queen and Charles stepping in for the Queen. So William will do investitures on behalf of the Queen. We saw Prince Charles, obviously, for the Maundy service just before Easter. Um, so we're used to seeing that. But this is different because this was a kind of a key legislative official act. So this is, you know, an act of state that the Queen's required to do as part of, you know, being a monarch. Um, but because it was so official, they had to have, you, in, in this instance, you have to have two what's called councillors of state um, stepping in for the monarch oh, yeah, to so show we, that they're we, not as powerful. We know who the other two are, don't well, we? Well, that's yeah. it. So we've yeah. got four councillors of state and they are Charles, William, Andrew and Harry. And that leaves begs the question, doesn't it, that should William or, or Charles not be available and they need two of them to act together on things like opening um, the official opening of Parliament, or um, if they're signing off a new High Court judge appointment, for example, that just, would require two councillors of state. Just want to reassure you, don't have to explain to us why it's the same as car insurance this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, We've all heard that yeah. one. You can go and Google that one later in your own time, viewers. But Charlotte, what do you think that, you know, with the way that Kate describing the gravity of it, what do you think it meant for Charles? And what, what do you think it meant to people around the country to see that this week? 
I thought it wasn't that much of an adjustment for people. Actually, seeing Charles in, in, on that, it wasn't actually the one that the Queen sits in, it wasn't actually the throne, but seeing Charles sitting there didn't feel too jarring. And it was actually quite sweet. He looked at the crown for a really long time, I thought, and seemed almost on the verge of tears to the point where I, said, I, I was thinking to myself, does he know something we don't know? Why, well, you know, this is, seems a really poignant moment for it him. It was a really poignant picture, wasn't it? It yeah. was the kind of, it, it was, we, we hear about the transition and the, pre the plans that are underway for when Charles eventually exceeds the throne, but this was it just there to see, you see, know, the, see he's looking the, at the crowd, yeah. mm. it's going to be his one day in the not too distant future. It, it was just gave me such just, a sense of foreboding seeing yeah, that crown. Exactly. It yeah. was so really poignant. Strange. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, yeah. but then it did feel right seeing Charles there. It didn't think, it didn't feel like that's not our queen, you know, it felt like, okay, this is the moment, this is maybe happening slowly. Mm. Fascinating times. Let's move to the announcement over the Platinum Jubilee plans. Richard, I can't wait to hear what your interpretation of these events have been this last week. Well, just thank God for the wise judgment of the Queen. You know, she might not have been well enough to attend Parliament, but she can still make decisions like that. And I think it's, it's certainly what I'd hoped for, that it would have been a terrible sign to have had Harry and Meghan and Andrew on that balcony after all that's happened. I think it would have done a lot of damage to the royal family. Um, so I think it's right that she's chosen just the working members to be there. But on the other hand, it's sad because, I mean, look at the photograph here. We have, um, it's a chance usually for the extended family to get together to celebrate the Queen at yeah, Trooping the Colour. Do you know who all of these people are? Do <laughs> um, we need them all? <laughs> I, I love it though, because it, it's a chance to see yeah. some of those um, lesser known members and they, they feel part of the family, but they've had to suffer because of Harry and Meghan's disloyalty mm. and because of Andrew. Mm. So let's be frank, we're never going to see them on the balcony again. What we're seeing with the working members, that's that's all we're ever going to see. And and that that's sad, I think. It's quite a departure as well from the last Jubilee when there was a kind of the slim down a royal family. And maybe this is a point where they're thinking, well, actually, it's become quite slimmed down for various kind of acts of fate, mm. I suppose, or mm. lots of things that have happened that have naturally slimmed it down. So yeah. in a way, we're seeing sort of expanding and the Queen saying, you know, these, these other people are very important. And Charlotte, what do you think about Rebecca talking about this potential awkwardness at the St Paul's ceremony? But presumably Harry and Meghan will want to do some of their own events while they're here. Do, is, is there any danger, do you think, of their activity overshadowing these ceremonies? Yeah, I think if they went to St Paul's, that, that would definitely overshadow it, uh, overshadow the ceremony because last time it was at Westminster and Meghan was the only one who could bring herself to smile and that's because she's a consummate actress, but it was really awkward to watch. That was before the Oprah interview. Um, so I think if they went to St Paul's this time, I think it would definitely overshadow for sure and they might be wise not to do that. They'd be better placed at the celebrity party that's on the Saturday night. There's going to be a big showbiz party. Well, they'd fit right into Are that. Are you invited perfect. to that? No, I've definitely got an invite. <laughs> and I'm invited to Lilibet's first birthday party on the 4th of June. And that's, I think, while they're over here. Well, it's so the they same might weekend, be, isn't it? So it's that's same weekend. So, yeah, so they might do something. I mean, that won't be a public event, obviously, but they might be doing their own events Are you while really they're in invited London. To that? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I just want a clarification there. Um, but how do you think the palace will try to manage all of this, Kate? <laughs> it's such a headache for the palace, isn't it? I mean, they're sort of damned if they do and damned if they don't. They couldn't have had the Sussexes and Andrew on the balcony. It was just impossible. So that's the right decision. But they, they have, you know, it, at the briefing that Rebecca mentions, they, you know, the aides were saying, you know, they remain 
much loved members of the family and there is generally a sense that they want to bring the Sussexes in I think and they will be invited to a lot of family occasions just not the kind of the big official numbers where mm. it will be restricted to those working members of the royal family. Do you know what we'll miss this time though which is my favourite moment on the balcony is when they all jostle to make sure they're seen because there's so many of them and you can see Megan's doing it a bit there and usually but now there's going to be only 18 so they won't be doing their sort of peacocking. Let's move on. This week, the Queen became the third longest-serving monarch in history, and one man who's had a ringside seat throughout it all is her cousin, the Duke of Kent. And today he releases his memoirs. That is a rare thing for a member of the royal family. Called A Royal Life, he wrote it with the biographer Hugo Vickers, who told us about working with the Duke. His main career for most of his early life was being a professional soldier, and that interested him very much. Unfortunately, uh, when his squadron was sent off to Northern Ireland, it was considered to be politically dangerous because either he might have been killed or kidnapped, or indeed he might have possibly had to order his squadron to fire on what might have been British citizens, and that could have been politically very dangerous. So he was whisked back after a mere three weeks in February 1971, and um, thereafter, I think, realised that his, his military career wasn't really going to go to the top in the way that he might have hoped. It's that difficult problem of being a member of the royal family. The Duke himself mentioned it in the book that, that Prince Harry had the same problem, of course, when he went to Afghanistan and he was pulled out. This is what is likely to happen. So did the Duke of Windsor, actually, all those years before in the First World War. He wanted to get to the front and he was told very firmly, you know, that they couldn't risk it. They didn't want him being kidnapped. You know, this is one of the problems. I mean, you know, he he wanted to be a, a soldier treated in any, uh, just the same as anybody else. He's always seen his main role in life as being one of being able to support the Queen, lighten her burden in any way possible and help her. And out of that, I think what's fascinating really is that he's done quite a lot of things which you or I might not think were particularly interesting, but he's made them interesting. You know, he's involved with the Lifeboat Institution, institution thing he took on from his mother, and he's made it his point of trying to visit every single lifeboat institution right across the, the country and also in, in Ireland. He goes out to when they find, um, as they did last autumn, they'd found some soldiers from the First World War um, when they were digging up a canal and they identified these bodies, got in touch with all the families, and he went out and spent two days in Belgium and they were ceremonially buried. Now, this is something which doesn't get into the press, but it's extremely valuable, you know, for those families. The breadth of the things that he's done is very wide, you know, from Wimbledon to Commonwealth war graves to lifeboats to scouts to, I mean, and he loves anything to do with um, engineering and science and mechanics, music he loves, Wagner in particular. You know, he's extended it in all different directions, which I think is the great secret of life, to be quite honest. The message really was work within the system, don't compete with the Queen, support the Queen and make of it what you will. I mean, he's done that. Prince Philip certainly did that. I mean, Prince Philip had a lousy time when he first joined the royal family, but he made the job his own. And that's what you can do, I think. You know, but it's so much. That's what's so sad about Prince Harry, for example, because he was doing a fantastic job with the Commonwealth and Invictus Games and things. Um, but there's so much that can be explored when you're working for others rather than when you're working for yourself. A Royal Life by the Duke of Kent and Hugo Vickers is out today, published by Hodder and Stoughton. And speaking of royal books, make sure you check out the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday this weekend, who are both serialising The Queen by Andrew Morton. Right, let's bring my panel back now. Kate, Duke of Kent, 86. Boy, they're getting on. He's still doing a lot for the family, it seems. And Hugo Vickers seemed to be suggesting he's something of an unsung hero in the royal family. 
Yeah, I mean, he's very, you know, the, the Queen relies on him in many ways. And you might remember from last summer with Trooping the Colour, which was moved to Windsor, he was accompanying the Queen. He was chosen by the Queen as a one member of the family to accompany her. And that's when we still had the sort of COVID. And the Queen was there tapping her foot. And, you know, he was really, he's obviously getting on in age, but um, he's been a remarkable stalwart, I think. And, and the Queen does really respect him and rely on him. Mm. Do you think, Richard, that it's an interesting comparison that Hugo makes there with, you know, not just the Duke of Kent, but also Prince Philip, um, energetic, engaged young men who made the royal life work for them. Mm. And then we have Prince Harry. It really is a stark contrast, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it emphasises what we've lost. And I think what Harry could have been, you know, if he'd put loyalty and service at the forefront like the Duke of Kent has, and he also had the support of his wife, Catherine, the Duke of Kent's case. Well, I suppose in fairness to Harry, you know, the media weren't really sort of like hounding the Duke and, and Duchess of Kent. Were they ever in the same, in the same way? Um, well, I, d I don't think that's why Harry and Meghan went to America because mm. of they did talk about privacy, but privacy doesn't seem to be the sort of top of their concern with their TV interviews and True. light yeah. entertainment appearances and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but I, th I think they're just very different. They've married very different women. I think Meghan didn't seem to have a plan to sort of serve and to want to stay in this country. And I think she's helped um, encourage Harry to quit the royal family. Whereas in the Duke of Kent's case, he had a wife who was very supportive and, and did all she could to help him and help the Queen. And dropped her HRH title and went to live in Hull. Mm. She really, she was the anti-celebrity royal. She, she disappeared for many years yeah. and became a music teacher in Hull. I can't really imagine Meghan doing that somehow. That's some fun facts. Yeah. I like that. But Charlotte, do you think it's, does it seem a waste to you that we don't have Harry's skill set in that royal fold? Yeah, Harry could have been the Duke of Edinburgh Mark II, couldn't he? And we kind of need that because the royal family do take themselves very seriously and they are a very serious institution. But there is a bit of a fun side to them. And Harry just would have been brilliant at that. And he could have, you know, brought a bit of a jocular side to balcony moments and things like that, you know. And, and we've lost that. We've lost that now. Mm. Well, speaking of Harry, he appeared in an advert this week to promote his initiative Travel List. Let's take a look at a clip. According to my notes here, you were given 12 towels at Tim's Motor Lodge and you only used one for the entire stay. So pretty good. I don't think I stayed there. And 12 towels, that's pretty excessive, I mean. 12 towels is excessive. Oh, you were very respectful of local communities. In fact, you even bought some local honey. Yes, I remember that. Was that nice? Uh, yes. Good. And you did not keep the tap running whilst brushing your teeth? No, I never do. Hang on a second. How did you know that? Hmm? Charlotte, how do you rate those acting skills on our Harry? <sighs> I thought he was quite good at first. He's quite good at sort of dropping the line and then doing a little titter afterwards. I quite like that. That was good. <laughs> a titter. And, and titter. So he kind of does a little line and goes, ha, ha, ha. I thought that was quite good acting. Not a chortle, a titter. Uh, a chortle, a yeah. titter. Um, and I think actually for the first 60 seconds he was good at acting. And then it went on for another two minutes. It went on and on and on. And the acting got worse and worse and worse. It was far too long. Um, but it did remind me of the time um, he did the mic drop with the Queen, which I've mentioned on here before because it was so a good um, Harry comedy moment a few years ago and he really had that twinkle in his eye and he just was he was just very funny then he does a good comic timing he does he? but that was missing in this thing I think I don't think he's naturally as humorous as he used to be I think deep down he's a far more serious person so I was less convinced by his 
ha ha ha, I'm so funny vibe mm. as I used to be, you know what I mean? And Kate, there was also some controversy over his co-stars. Yes, this was really unfortunate. So he was appearing alongside some New Zealand actors and um, it transpired that one of them had previously um, made some kind of anti-Semitic comments and waded into some controversy and at one point had been suspended from his radio uh, station breakfast show. So perhaps that wasn't the image that um, Harry was looking for. How did he end up on this then? It's bizarre. You, do, you, you think with all the staff that they might have that they might be checking this sort of thing. But, it, it you know, time, time and time again, you know, there's, mm. there, there's things that caught controversy and you think with that team around, surely someone's checking this sort of stuff. Amazing. Um, um, Richard, do you think there will be pressure on Harry, particularly, to make Travelist work? Look, call me a cynic, but I'm very... <laughs> <laughs> never, <laughs> never. I'm very sceptical yeah. about this, this Travelist. I mean, you know, you've, you've got a couple that use private jets all the time, they're always swanning around the world, and then he's promoting eco-travel, eco-tourism. That's what Travelist is. It's not a charity. They call it a not-for-profit. And from what I understand, it's just benefited with a huge grant from their charity, which was Sussex Royal. Then it was given another name. They've got more than £200,000 from that to this travelist. And what's it all about? It's got sponsorship from various travel companies. And it seems to be a way for corporate companies to sort of burnish their eco-credentials. But what he was talking about on this advert, this video, was all about sort of quizzes about how environmental you are. Or it just seemed very wishy-washy. And I've I, I think it will be hard for Harry to um, prove his credentials in, in any way with this company. Well, I think it's the same thing Charlotte mentioned, that the advert was very long, and it was, and I still was unclear about what it was advertising well, at the end and, of it. And my yeah. question as well is, do any of us, well, I know I don't, do any of you understand what is the measure of success? What, what, is, what makes it successful or not, something like this? Well, it would be lots of money, I think, if, right. if travel list... Um, which it seems to be getting, it's getting um, involvement of various travel companies, um, then he'll see that as a success. But, yeah. but will it actually achieve anything? I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. hopefully there'll be a sort of proper audit so we can see if it is having an effect. Um, I mean, perhaps a better idea would be to set an example and um, travel less. But but then we wouldn't be seeing him back here, I guess. So, um. Oh, what a conundrum. What a conundrum. <laughs> and it's all we have time for on Palace Confidential this week. My thanks to guests Rebecca English, Kate Manzi, Charlotte Griffiths, Hugo Vickers, Richard Eden, and you always for watching. And stick around as we have something very special to play out the programme. This week, we're hoping to see a rare appearance from the Queen at the Royal Windsor Horse Show. It's one of her favourite occasions. So we're going to leave you with a gallery of Her Majesty at that show over the years.